0: If you have your Bible this morning, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 16. We'll start diving right into this chapter next week. It's really a great sermon on Acts 17. If you want to read ahead for next week's sermon, but uh, this week we're in Acts 16. We spent a little bit of time in 16 uh, uh, last week, and then we're going to finish this up today. And um, I I think what what I want to talk with you about today uh, is is, uh, something that's... uh, uh, that I I struggle with in, in a great to a great degree and I'm sure that you do as as well and um, This there's this there's this concept that I want you to get here that uh, is Really what I call lensing the lens at which we're going to see our world through as people And um, there's really two lenses I'd like to talk with you about this morning as we begin to see our world, as we think about our world, as we are out there relating in our world with our girlfriend, our boyfriend, our husband, our wife, our friends. There's a lens in which we see these things that take place. In our lives, and the first lens that we see very actively, and you see this throughout the scriptures and in our lives as we look, we can look through the lens of what you would call ourselves, me, us, and then obviously you see the lens of God and what He does and how He's working. And many times the two things are very diabolical; they're very different than each other. And what I want you to notice today is with that I'm going to come back to this, but as we read 16, it's going to be really important that you see and read and kind of kind of see what's going on here because God is doing a massive work and when you really look at it he's doing everything here okay we're going to read for in a minute that Paul and Silas I mean are going to actually end up in a prison and at night they're at midnight they're going to be praying and singing hymns to God Silas I can guarantee you before they went to Philippi didn't say wow I can't wait to get to that prison and sing and pray at midnight But, that's where they found themselves. Lydia, by by the water, I'm not so sure that she woke up in the morning and said, I think somebody's probably going to come today and talk to me beside the water about the Lord. But guess what? God orchestrated it. He worked it out for Paul and Silas to come to the riverbed to talk with them about Jesus. What's the point? The point that I'm trying to make with you is this, is that we've got to be really careful in our lives. Because the lens that I could literally look through in my life all the time could be, well, I'm making these choices. I'm doing this thing. It's kind of all up to me. And if I make good ones, good things will happen. If I make bad ones, bad things will happen. That's almost a secular humanistic way of viewing theology if there is such a thing. It's a very me-centered understanding. So when you come back and you read here in 16, I want us to be specifically and kind of tuned in to, look at what God's doing. Look at all the things that are going on here in 16. Okay? All right. Look there with me at... um, Verse 11 from Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Samothrace and the next day down to Antoniopolis. From verse 12, from there we traveled, here it is, from there we traveled to Philippi. Now for those of you that aren't familiar with the Philippian letter, the Philippian letter may be one of the most winsome of all letters in all of Scriptures. Paul absolutely has A beautiful relationship with the Philippian church. This right here, right now, just to let you know, is the very beginning of what God's going to do in the Philippian church. The church at Philippi. The epistle is called Philippians, right? So follow with me there. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony in the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. And we sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. Hmm. And one of those listening was a woman named Lydia. A dealer in purple cloth from the city, I don't know what that, how that, how to say that, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord, look what it says, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. So the Lord had obviously been doing a work in her heart for her to respond to Paul's message. It's beautiful. Verse 15. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. Look at that. And if you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And then it says this. And she persuaded us. Which means, have you ever done that with a friend? Come on, let's go do this. We used to do that really well as kids. When we were kids a lot, we begged our friends to do things. Right? When you become adults, you don't beg as much anymore. Maybe we need to beg more. One of the things I want you, I'm going to come back to in a minute, but I I want you to hear something here. Remember that community and hospitality, community, always follows conversion. The two are brothers and sisters. Okay? Community comes after conversion because there's a lot of beautiful, natural things that are going on in our hearts because of what God's doing in our hearts. We actually want to have people in our home. We actually want to share our lives we actually want to commune with each other. We actually want those things. If you don't want those things, you may need to ask yourself some questions that we don't need to get into today. But it could be a little bit of a red flag. She persuaded us. Maybe Paul didn't want to go. Maybe, maybe Paul thought like we all think, oh, it's going to be a burden. You know, do you have enough food for me? You know, whatever. Whatever. Once we were going to the place of prayer, verse 16, and we were met by a slave girl, so now we've met Lydia, and now look look who we meet. God's putting a slave girl in front of Paul and Silas, who had had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling, and this girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. So she was telling the truth, wasn't she, there? She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing out our, our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Remember, With the gospel, usually always comes trouble. With the proliferation of the gospel, usually always comes trouble. So they're in it right now. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. Probably wasn't on the to-do list on that day for Paul. Was to be beaten and stripped. And after they had been, what does it say in your Bible? What does it say? Severely flogged. flogged. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. The other prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was uh, such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. they replied believe in the lord jesus and you will be saved you and your household then they spoke the word of the lord to him and to all the others in the house at that and at that hour of the night the jailer took them and washed their wounds what else what else happens after conversion service right we're going to serve each other as a result of our conversion service it's a natural thing that we do with each other. It's not something that we just kind of have to conjure up. It's something that happens because of a deep heart of gratitude. That was going on here in the jailer's life. This deep heart of gratitude. That was going on in Lydia's heart. This deep heart of gratitude for what God had done. Now what what do I want? What what can I do? The jailer brought them into the house, set, his, set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. When we witness the the wonderful work of the Lord in so many ways, we see here that God definitely has intentions upon the city of Philippi and that God guides Paul and Silas in this adventure and we see that He guides them to certain destinations. We see that He leads them to certain people like Lydia and even the girl that was demon-possessed and the midnight jailer. We see that He leads them along riverbanks and in city streets and in the jail. We see God opening hearts We see people responding to the Lord. We see God intervening on behalf of a slave girl who was demon-possessed most likely her whole life. But what we see is we see God building His church, my friend. Let me say that again. We see God building His church. The Lord will build His church. And in Matthew 16, I want you to all hear this. You've heard it before, but I want you to hear this message because it's a very profound and solid message that we always need to be reminded of. In Matthew 16 Christ says this, you are the or Peter says you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man but by my Father in heaven, and I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And they haven't overcome it, and they won't overcome it. And God continues to rock and roll all the way through from way on back to now and we have no idea the kind of plans that God has but you can be guaranteed that our sovereign Lord has great plans and great intentions for His church His people, His sons and daughters You has great intentions upon You and has great dreams for us even here in this little community in 12 South has a dream for us We are the church The gates of hell will not prevail against us Amidst all of our problems and all of our pain and all of our struggling and all of our complaining, and all of our whatever, the gates of hell won't prevail against the Lord. The Lord is sovereign. The Lord's plans are mighty and strong. In this, oh boy. What's that? It's, it's, it's the Lord speaking? Thank you, Chad. Thank you, Silas. <laughs> My, here's, here's the question that I think is important. As I talk to you about this lens in God working, here's here's the question. I know I challenge you on this level a lot, but here, here's what I want you to think about. In this time and space right now, okay, do you actually believe that God is working, active, moving, doing his work like you've seen? here in Acts 16. Do you believe that? And when I say, do you believe it? I'm not asking you like the church answer on Sunday morning for you to shake your head and go, yep, believe it, been there, done that, that's what you're supposed to do in church. Do you believe that like in the darkest corner of your life? Do you believe that in time and space in Nashville in August 2009, God has something very intentional, that God is up to something? He's a holy orchestrator of people's lives. Do you believe it? The people that came over to the Millers on Friday night, and for those that can't, do you believe that God had those people come to that time and space to hear a certain whatever it was or to be together? Do you believe it? Do we actually believe that the God of the Bible is as active today in our lives in what He wants to do than He was back then? Do we actually believe that? That, I cannot begin to tell you the importance of us actually believing that because of much of our lives hinge on what you actually believe about that. If you don't believe that the Lord is truly an active God, He's sovereign, He's involved, He knows the numbers of the hairs on our head, the Bible says, that he is at work, that he is intentional, that he convicts, that he is on the ready, that he's not sleeping, if you actually believe that, there's massive ramifications now for your and my discipleship. See, it's a lens. It's a very important way that we view our life in the world. It's a lens. It's a lens that says you are living, you are active in this world, you are working, you are calling, you're convicting, you're building, you're starting, you're stopping, you're mighty, you are strong, you are Lord. But if we don't actually believe it, here's what happens. We place another God, we, li- we look at a lens through another, we look at life through a whole, whole other lens. And that lens is what? Me. You know, uh, I just wanted you to make sure that you knew. I, I don't know if you know this, but and you've probably heard this before. Remember that as people, we will always throne something in our lives. We will always worship something. Okay? And a lot of us are, have become very adept at worshiping ourselves, haven't we? I know I have. See, because the opposite, if we really look at looking through life as that lens, then I'm saying this. I am living and active in this world. I am working. I am choosing. I am orchestrating. I am building. I am mighty. I am strong. I am Lord. I can stop things. I can start things. Do you follow where I'm going with this? How are you lensing in the world? What are you seeing? What are the precepts that you have when you wake up in, during the day? God, are you active? And how can I tune in to your presence and what you have for me today, even though that may call me into some crazy prison? Am I tuning into what you have, or am I tuning into what I want? Two totally different ways of looking at life. Let me talk to you for a minute about this concept here called pride. This concept that we have uh, we talked a little bit about called self because this right here we talked about a little bit last week but I wanted to hit on it with you. Do you know what the Bible has to say about it as we think about ourselves and the way we look at life this is really it's really helpful for me I hope it is for you. The Bible says this for all that is in the world the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father but is from the world. <clears throat> Psalm 138.6 says this, Though the Lord is on high, He looks upon the lowly, but the proud He knows from afar. Isaiah 66.2 says this, Has not my hand made all these things? And so they come and came into being, declares the Lord. This is the one I esteem, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Boy, that doesn't describe me. I'm really, in, I'm really uh, interested in. <laughs> I don't know if I'm interested in humble and being humble and contrite. Last night we went to see um, the movie District Nine. It's pretty interesting. I liked it, and I'm not a sci-fi kind of guy, you know. I wanted to date I need to date my wife more uh, for those of you that n- need to know this uh, she came up last week and we were at cal- Cowis calendaring with some folks and Shelly came up to me last week she goes, "What about me can you get me on your calendar that's called a, like kind of like a pride kick in the pants you know <laughs> right you, if you ever ask the Lord for for humility trust me he'll bring it So check this out. So I respond to Shelley. Well, of course, honey, and, it's, and a lot of this was beautiful motivation. Yes, honey, we, you know, we're going to do this. And so we said Friday night's going to be our date night, and so Friday night we had to go over to your house. And so then Saturday, you know, comes around. and I said, let's go do something tonight. So we decided to go to the movie. Now, I want here's what I want you to know. What I was feeling on the way to the movie. Can you guess? Dating my wife after being married for twenty eight years, I'm dating. Check me out. Maybe I'm gonna get some I'll get some great kudos. <laughs> it's amazing. If you're you know typical guys, what guys will do is that well check this out, man, this is great. Put that penny in the slot, done got that covered, right? That's pride too. Are we actually people that, that have, that it, it would, would you call this, is this the kind of problem in your life where you would actually say this, our pride is almost your first response on a lot of things? Like it's our first reactions, like the ambulance, you know, their first responders on the side. I wonder if my life says that Joel f- pride, first responder, you know, it just, it just comes up. I mean, because even that, I felt great, I pulled into the parking lot, I'm, I'm, I'm going into the movie, and we start talking about a, a certain subject that I don't need to talk with you about, but it's one of those ones that I would call, don't go to that place, over there. And, I, and wh- wh- what's that about? That's pride. Because I'm right about that place. And and if I really want to be honest with you, I don't want to know what you think about it, and I don't want to know what God thinks about it. Can you relate to me? A U.S. Air Force transport plane with its captain and five crew members was flying over Alaska in the mid-50s when they entered an unusually fierce snowstorm. The navigator contacted an airbase, only to be told that he had veered several hundred miles off course. Correct coordinates were given to the navigator, who continued to insist that his own calculations could not be that far off. Soon the plane ran low on fuel, and the six men decided to abandon the plane and parachute to safety. But because of the minus 70 degree Fahrenheit temperatures and winds that gusted to 50 miles per hour, they were all frozen within minutes of hitting the ground. True story. And I think that that would be very confessional if I were to say to you, I'm that guy in that plane. Even though I hear the coordinates from my holy God that says this, I want to say, no, that's not the way it's going to go. It's over here. True for you? It's a struggle, isn't it? In Proverbs 12 says us, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who seeks counsel is wise. So when we see here, let me make a transition. Because as we see here and we look at this community, we would say, how does God go about building His church? Because I want to make a transition here because there's a lens in which I want you to see something. God talks. God brings Lydia, who is a fairly well-to-do Greek woman who we believe is a widow, with a big house. She deals in expensive fabric. She obviously has an interest in God. She comes to know the Lord, a slave girl who's been demon possessed her whole life, involved in the occult. She's used by others to make, or by her owners to make others rich. And then you have a midnight jailer, a Roman soldier, who's a complete Gentile more than likely. Probably a pretty crusty guy. But God is orchestrating something and he's doing something. And I think it's important for us as people to begin to understand that this is a real crucial way for us to start and to begin to think about, wait a minute now, what does it actually mean for me to look at a lens in, which, in what God is doing and how He is going to, for instance, in this case, as I just use Lydia and the demon-possessed girl and the jailer, you know what, I, I would probably tell you this, and I, I know you hear me beating this drum all the time, but here's the drum of community. I don't think that those people woke up that day looking for each other and saying to each other, we're going to be the church of Philippi. These were the seeds of the church of Philippi. A woman who is a widow, who had money. I don't know about the demon-possessed girl. We know that the midnight jailer came to know the Lord. And God orchestrates and brought those people together. For those of you on Friday night, I shared with you, what is God wanting to do with us as we talk about community, as we get together, and it's all crazy and different. Would we be willing to say that God's going to build His church? Would we be willing to say that the people that are in front of us wouldn't necessarily be our choice? Or do we want the people that are in front of us as it relates to community, if I'm going to see life, do we want the people in front of us, we want these people to be, well, we want them to be good people, not this. Not absolute, complete nutballs, isn't it true? I want if I'm gonna, if I'm thinking about the way that God's going to orchestrate the community, I don't want people to be nuts. But if I really look at this, and if I start lensing myself through this, and I start seeing myself, I start going, well, why in the world, why in the world would I need community if we were to attack community? I'm just using that as an example. The question is, how are you lensing? How are you seeing your world? A few observations that I want you you to make here, or that I want us to make. I love this quote. Listen to this. It was a good thing that Paul and Silas did not count on a lack of adversity as a sign of guidance of the Spirit. And we do, don't we? For those of you that right now are jobless, okay, Now is not the time for you to abandon your God and go into a hole and do your own thing. Now is the time for you to look through this lens at your life and say, Lord, what is it that you're trying to say to me? What is it that you have for me? And we can relate that to many situations, but many of us think that the lack of adversity is the sign of the guidance of the Spirit. Instead, they went into the prison anticipating what this set of circumstances would bring in the Holy Spirit's strategy. In fact, they were able to sing and suffer and pray at midnight. Let me ask you a question this morning. What is the song that you sing in your deepest suffering? What is it? If we're lensing through ourselves, it's this, woe is me. Life sucks. And a friend comes up and tries to talk to me, don't talk to me about it. I don't want to hear anything about it. I just want to be in the depths of despair. You don't. And then, and then somebody says this, you don't know my pain. Do you know that? Do you know when we look at somebody and says, you don't know my pain? It's kind of like a really prideful thing to say to somebody. It's almost like we would look at them and say, my pain's the most special pain possible on the face of the earth. Nobody could ever know about it. That's crazy. That tells you what lens we're looking through at that point, doesn't it? What is the song? What's the song you sing? Isn't it crazy? Somebody told, I read an author that said that he actually went and visited this jail that Paul that the earthquake happened in modern day and he walked in and there's a plaque on the wall that says for me to live is Christ and to die is gain see what, what Paul didn't have any problem singing probably was the song of whatever you're doing Lord is okay and if you want to intervene which he did that night is fine but if you want to if you want to behead me too that's fine as well if, you, if I die tonight that's okay too that's how big he believed in his God that's how big of a lens he looked through. You follow what I'm saying? That was a complete God lens that he was looking through to, in order to be able to even make that statement. By the way, he made that statement to the Philippian believers. That's really what I have for you today. And it's something that I really, really deeply want, want you to think about. Because I was convicted this week about a lot of my life and a lot of my thoughts and a lot of the ways I relate and how much I was convicted about when I talking with people how much I want to be better than them. You ever been like that? If you're a, if you're a young lady, you know one of the things that, that young ladies do and young men do, we all do it, is we get into circles like this in the church and we end up comparing ourselves. She's more pretty. She's this. She's got that. She's smarter. She's smarter. He's this. He's that. That's looking through this lens, right? See, the God and gospel lens looks through community and everything else a little bit differently. It's an important thing for us to consider. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for uh, your word. And uh, as we think about just how you orchestrated this beautiful plan of pulling these people together, I pray, uh, Lord, that you would uh, give us the strength to um, really look at our lives through a completely different lens than we're so used to. We have this default that we go to. And, uh, Lord, I pray that you would allow us uh, to really ask different questions in our life. Who are you? What do you have? What are you saying to us? How can we serve? Who is our neighbor? Lord, I I pray that you would help us to stop being so self-protective and self-consumed. And um, we just need every bit of who you are to help us in that journey, we pray. In your name, amen.